0: Hello and welcome to The Price of Football The show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game With beautiful on the inside me, Kevin Day And him, Liverpool University's rugged and handsome on the outside Kieran Maguire, how are you Kieran? I'm all good thanks Kevin, yeah, raring to go Good, I'm, I'm glad that you're not falsely modest enough to say I'm not rugged and handsome. Well done. <laughs> Later in the show, the rugged and handsome Kieran Maguire will be chatting to Tom Denby, who's Norwich City's head of finance. It was a very interesting chat he had too. But before that, some very interesting news stories, Kieran. First of all, UEFA have published a report on pandemic revenue loss, and it's a big number. Uh, yes, uh, UEFA every
1: year they publish something called the club, License, club licensing benchmarking report, which which isn't a paid turner, turn. I'll, even, even I will concede that. Um, but overall, they, they estimate that uh, the the pandemic has cost European football around about uh, seven billion euro, uh, mm. and and a, and a large slice of that has come from from the UK as well. So it's it's been a tough time but we're still all there. Uh, gate, gate receipts clearly have been very significantly hit. That uh, they're normally around about 1 pound in every 6 but uh, it's down to 2% uh, during the pandemic. So it has been tough. Um they the broadcasting income held up which was good. There was there was a fear that the broadcasters would be demanding lots of uh, lots of rebates but that that's been okay. Um, And also the UEFA competitions themselves. Because we were all in lockdown, we ended up watching the Europa League group matches and the stuff that you'd think twice about. So they have had some quite good viewing figures on those.
0: And still in Europe, Kieran, some clever person, probably Swiss Ramble, uh, has been crunching the numbers on the net spend by European clubs over the past 10 years. And throwing up, and this is going to be the word of the day. Some interesting stats.
1: Yes, uh, this this is, this is this is actually from Switzerland, but not from the Swiss Ramble himself. It's from okay. something called the CIES Football Observatory. Who, who are oh, a bunch them. of oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm,
0: I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure they must have been down the porsons' Arms on a
1: regular I, basis I, getting I, shedded. Possibly,
0: possibly. There's quite yeah, it's a couple of strange looking lads with feathers in their hats down <laughs> down, the, down the corner of the pub. That might be them. Yeah, yodeling away. <laughs> um,
1: so, so what they've worked out is the the net and the gross spend by football clubs in uh, in, in in the five big leagues, as far as Europe is concerned. So that's that's yeah, <coughs> England, Spain, Italy, Germany, and France. And um, the the net spend over that period um, uh, is topped by Manchester United, which mm-hmm. goes against sort of the common narrative. You know, lots of United fans uh, have. Have felt that they've been marginalised at their club because Chelsea are being underwritten by Roman Abramovich, Manchester City are being underwritten by Sheikh Mansour, uh, but actually it's it's United who have, have topped this table. They're they're number one, followed by City, then thirdly PSG. Um, and, and I think part of the reason for that is uh, many other clubs who you consider to be big, big clubs not only have they spent a lot of money, but they, they've generated a lot of money from player sales as well. And uh, United here haven't really performed particularly well. So there's been lots of players who have come and then have gone for, for significantly lower fees. Uh, and they've, they've not necessarily had, had players coming through the development route, which have generated a lot of money for United. So uh, it, it's, it sort of dispels the myth, that Manchester United are, are not winning trophies due to a lack of cash. It's, it could be argued that the cash has not been spent well, but I'll leave mm-hmm. that for
0: the United fans and uh, and non-United fans to discuss. <clears throat> yeah, as you know, Kieran, yeah, the, the numbers themselves, well, fascinating, obviously. Uh, it's the words that interest me. So uh, I just got baffled by why we say crunching the numbers. And I... Did a bit of research still. No one can seem to agree why we use that phrase. Even, even the Cambridge Dictionary. Obviously, I'm not looking at the Oxford Dictionary after the, the argument we had about defining the word ball. Um, <laughs> it's a, I don't care what you say, Oxford. The rugby ball is not a ball. But no one can seem to, under, to, to agree when or where we started crunching numbers. Um, <clears throat> talking of Manchester United, and as I say, the word interesting is the word of the day, Manchester United have an interesting message for season ticket holders yesterday.
1: Uh, yeah, it's either turn up or ship out, effectively. Mm. Um, what Manchester United have said, and, and this is in the light of significant numbers of empty seats um, at some recent home matches. There's been up to up to seven thousand empty seats mm. uh, take, uh, being seen at. Old Trafford, which, which is surprising, is that um, they're going to say to the season ticket holders, you must fill the seat at least 10 times uh, every season. Now, I've got a lot of sympathy for... For United fans here, and, and I'm not going to go down the, you know, the, the the rather hackneyed route of oh well they're all coming from Guildford, you know, all that type of nonsense. Because that, yeah, you know, I, I played for Trafford Cricket Club for 30 years. Manchester, Manchester United is a big club in Manchester, so you can forget all of that nonsense. um Of course, of course, yeah, yeah. And um, what they've said is, you if if the seat if you can't use the seat, then by all means, transfer it to a friend. Now, I'm hoping they're going to go down the route that there's going to be no charge for this because that would yeah. be that would be harsh. Um, but, you know, United, and I think this is from the club's point of view, if people turn up, they're more likely to go and buy burgers and merchandise. So, you know, as long as the ticket's being used. Um, and, it, and it is frustrating, I guess, from the club's point of view, given that they could sell the tickets elsewhere. Yeah, there's always, a, there's always a, a demand for Manchester United tickets. Um, but again, it... it brings into focus that if you are a Manchester United fan, um, you are effectively expected to, every time that there is a home match, um, you, you buy the ticket in good faith at the start of the season and you now have to leave Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, Saturday yep. evening, Sunday and Monday, all free in your diary in order to guarantee that you attend every match. I just don't think that's fair. Yeah, you know, it's, it's it's unrealistic. It, it wouldn't happen in in any other organisation. Yeah, you know, if, if if you or I book a restaurant for a, for a meal on a Saturday night, the restaurant doesn't phone you up the, the week beforehand and say, oh, "I think we, we we have to go and shift you round, uh, you know, yeah. t- turn up uh, turn up on Friday night, or turn up at Sunday at 12.30. And And uh, if you don't, we're going to charge you. Yeah, that, that's absolutely ludicrous. So we, we've had this discussion before that. It, this is all being driven by the, by the broadcasters, and and what the broadcasters have brought to football is fantastic. In, in first of all, you know, the quality of the broadcast product, I think, is is absolutely superb. Um, but it's it's a huge inconvenience to fans, and, and we are effectively just expected to acquiesce with regards to to the demands of broadcasters. So there is a simple solution: the the fixtures are announced normally. Fixtures for TV are normally announced sort of six to eight weeks. Before the matches take place, and again, sympathy for the broadcasters—they they want a story for the matches, yeah. so therefore they yeah, yeah. want to leave it as late as possible. Um, why not? They they make that announcement, and then, and this is something the independent regulator could perhaps adjudicate on, or the Premier League could could make a magnanimous decision themselves and say, um, you've now got fourteen days. If you want, if you can't attend the match, yeah, you're right. We will we will move heaven and earth to attend the matches because. You support Palace. I support Brian. We want to see our teams, but it, it could be that we booked a trip to the theatre. It could be that we've got relatives coming down on the Sunday, or, or something else has happened. So you've, you've then got fourteen days to request a, a rebate, a refund on that ticket, allowing the club another four to six weeks in which to sell your ticket. Everybody wins. The seat gets filled. The the fan is not being shafted. The broadcasters get a, a fuller audience attending the matches, which looks better from a footballing backdrop, from from
0: creating an atmosphere. So why not go ahead with it? Yeah, several things. That I I I don't book restaurants uh, on a Saturday night anymore because Ali thinks it shows a lack of imagination. Uh, somehow, apparently, going out on a Tuesday is more imaginative than a Saturday in the same way that we don't go out on Valentine's night. The night after, fine. Valentine's night, no. But you, there are a lot of Man United fans, for example, Kieran, in Ireland. And There are many countries yeah. all around Europe. But we know in Ireland there are a lot of Man United. Some of those people can't afford to come over for every game, right, for, for a start off. And then say, you can say, well, maybe they should buy a season ticket in the first place. But I don't recall any terms and conditions on a season ticket that says, you know, essentially – You own the seat for the season. Mm -hmm. If you don't want to turn up, then yeah, that's there are many Palace fans when Roy Hodgson was admittedly keeping us up, but they didn't want to go because the product, for want of a better word, that they were buying wasn't a particularly good one. If you're only winning three three home games a season, then you've got to travel from somewhere quite a long way. There are going to be times when you go, I can't, I genuinely can't be asked. But also, remember, we had this conversation in the last pod, Kieran. you, and I'm sure many others, you know a, a, a chap who's got access to 100 Man United season tickets. Yeah. So they're coming from somewhere. And you, you, I don't remember looking at a Man United game and noticing huge swathes of empty seats. So I'm interested as to why why they're doing it now. And also, it, it, sometimes that club, it's the way they handle the message, essentially, isn't it, that, that kind of puts the hackles up? On behalf of other Man United fans, if you like, they probably won't, us, won't want us getting involved. But it's just like, you know, people have spent a lot of money for season tickets. Don't be telling them that if they if they're not gonna go, they can't they can't keep going. I don't know. Um another United are oh, actually making their fans happier since the recent change of ownership is Newcastle. Uh, newcastle made an application to the living wage foundation to become a living wage employer which is great but what does it actually entail this did, why do you have to apply to the living wage foundation kieran before you start paying people well can can you not just start paying the living wage anyway you you can start paying it and i think this is just to get kite marked so, right. so what oh, will right, happen okay. is, is,
1: right. is is the living wage foundation says um can you evidence this Um, you know, what are your HR policies? But what they don't want to be doing is is to be uh, approving somebody and then you find out that, some of the other working conditions that that, that employer are pretty reprehensible. Ah, right, yes, so right. so yeah, they they will just do a bit of due diligence before before they kite market and and there are I think there's 13, 14 clubs who already signed up, in, including yeah you know, this is where we, go, we can be proud of our club. Both Brighton and yep. Palace have done it.
0: Yeah, yep,
1: um, yep. FC United of Manchester have, have quite rightly pointed out that they've done it. Dulwich Hamlet again, one of our, yep. our clubs that we admire a lot. Um, so I think this was this is. First of all, it's the right thing to do from Newcastle yeah. United because when, when the message went out, there are a lot of people going, "Well, what about workers' rights in in Saudi Arabia?" Well, Newcastle United can't control this, and, and ultimately, they have done the right thing. You can you can still say they've done the right thing here, and have a sense of unease with regards to certain issues to do with um, you know human rights and and, and other other things which we would consider to be fair um, in Saudi Arabia itself. But they are not inextricably linked together. They they, they should be separated. If it means that it's going to be slightly easier for people to pay some of their bills in Newcastle as a result of this decision, then then that's the right thing to do. Um, But if Newcastle United are doing it now in 2022, and I say, yeah, there's probably about 13, 14 clubs around that are doing it, there's 20 clubs in the Premier League in in total to, to not... For the Premier League to not go to its members or for its members not to just decide to vote, uh, you, you can make this as part of Premier League rules. If you are a member of the Premier League, then then you yep. have to. This is a thing to do because how else can you justify paying You know, the average wage for a Premier League footballer is £2.7 million a year and then to say we're not prepared to pay people £9.90 an hour yep. outside of London or 11 pounds five in London? Uh, because we can't afford it is it's is, is a very difficult uh, position to defend. Yeah,
0: and of course, uh, there are many, many football fans who are saying, well, you know, this is an empty gesture from Newcastle. Of course they can afford it. Regardless of why they've done it, as you say, it is the right thing to do. But also, you can just see by the response of Newcastle fans on social media, that they're delighted by this. Because again, it underlines the difference. Whatever you feel about the new owners... For Newcastle fans, it underlines a difference between them and Mike Ashley. And Newcastle fans think this is the right thing to do and it's giving them a little spring in their step because they you know, everyone wants their club to do the right thing. So fair play to them. But also a story that I understand less is that Newcastle have sold one share in the club for £40 million. Yeah, this,
1: this was really weird. This came through last week because Newcastle already have... About one hundred and thirty three million ordinary shares in issue. Right. Um, and most of those were sold fifty pence or you know low amounts of money. And then last week, something came through on on the company's house feed to say it was one single share, and, and every share is identical. Yeah, you know, it's a bit like baked beans in a tin. You know, they there's the whole thing about shares is that they have equal rights. Just because your share is number seven hundred and thirty two, it doesn't mean that it's more important or less important than number seven hundred and thirty three. They're identical assets with with identical circumstances, um, and it's been issued for forty million pounds. Which if if you actually then applied to all of the shares in Newcastle, would make Newcastle United worth twenty times that of the USA, which is wow. clearly. <laughs> now we know the US is going through a few grim times at present, but yeah, uh, you know, it, it it's staggering. So, so what is the logic behind this?
0: Um,
1: I, I think it is broadly connected to the fact that the Saudi Arabian Public Investment Fund owns eighty percent of. Effectively, Newcastle United through through a series of other companies. And there's lots of the, the, the number of companies involved is crazy. Um, Amanda Stavely owns 10% and the Rubin brothers own 10%. Now, if Newcastle United had issued 40 million shares for one pound each to the Saudi Arabian owners, it would have meant that their investment would have gone to, from 80% to perhaps 95%. And, and I think they want. Uh, for a variety of reasons, wouldn't uh, also be part of the, the original agreement, that Amanda Stavely and the Rubin brothers keep their 10% stake. So this was a way of getting the money into the club during the transfer window, and yeah, Kieran Trippier, Dan Byrne, and so on, uh, as well as ensuring that the existing uh, shareholding relationships hold tight.
0: Uh, yeah, are you still upset about Dan Byrne? Because I think Newcastle uh, had a very good transfer window. I know we're not allowed to talk about football, producer guy gets crossed, but they bought in some sensible players, I think. But Dan Byrne was a bit of a shock, wasn't he? Um, Yeah, he's he's playing the football of his career and uh,
1: he's been superb for us. He's, he's a Newcastle lad and I think everybody at the club wishes him, he's a great time. He's got a two and a half year contract there he will have had a substantial pay rise, and we're sorry to see him go. But he's he's such a nice guy; you can't have any resentment towards him.
0: Ah, oh, you think everyone's a nice guy, Kieran? Actually, I don't know. even as I said that halfway through that sentence, I realised that wasn't going to sound right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and speaking of which, uh, Mel Morris, ah, our <laughs> old friend, uh, Mel Morris, the ex-owner of Derby County, issued a lengthy. Nothing to do with governor statement last week, and has now been invited by the EFL to attend talks with administrators and Middlesbrough and Wickham about trying to prevent Derby going into liquidation. That that sentence, that last sentence, sounds a little bit ominous, Kieran, doesn't it?
1: Um, yes, uh, it, it was it was bizarre to to have this announcement from Mel Morris at six pm. I think it was six pm on Friday. Yeah, um, I think it's fair to say that it rambled at play, in places. Um, it, he, he firmly places the, uh, the woes of Derby County uh, at, uh, at uh, Middlesbrough at Wickham Wanderers, at the EFL uh, and, uh, and no mention of him running up a 28 million pounds unpaid tax bill with HMRC. That, that, yeah. it, that didn't get in the 2,100 words. Um, and this seems strange because ultimately it's the administrators who are now running Derby County Football Club Limited. Um, I think he has uh, perhaps been shocked at the at the vehemence of, of Derby fans as more and more things have come to light, and they realise that uh, he he perhaps uh, he, he perhaps random random a few stories which they they might have swallowed earlier on, but they now realise yeah. the nature of his, his ownership period. Um, ultimately the most important thing is that there is a Derby County to support uh, they've been doing superbly on the pitch, they, they've just won the, the last match 3-0 and, and they are getting closer and closer to getting out of that relegation zone which uh, if, if that is the case Wayne Rooney should be the uh, the manager of the year uh, without a doubt yeah. because working under those circumstances and having the integrity to, to carry on he, he, could have, he could have jumped ship quite yep. easily, but he's, yep. he's yep. completely committed to the cause and, and fair dues to him for that. Um, negotiation and arbitration is a, is a hell of a lot cheaper. So uh, Mel Morris has said, I will take on Wickham and Borough. Uh, yeah, it's a bit sort of, uh, yeah, I'll see you in the car park mm-hmm. uh, yeah. routine. But I don't think legally he can do that. I mean, he could certainly underwrite the legal costs of Derby County's administrators, um, and, and if he's prepared to do that, which wasn't quite what he said in his press release, then uh, then okay, then fair play to him. I, you know, I, I'll, I will give him some of the credit back. But I, I do think this is more of a, a public relations exercise. Uh, Middlesbrough themselves have uh, they've they've come out fighting. Um, they they, they describe some of the comments uh, that have been put out in the public domain recently as, as scurrilous. Um, they're, they're clearly unhappy, but they've said we are we are willing to talk. Um, you know, in order to be willing to talk, you need the other parties to talk too. So um, it's a, it's a nightmare for the EFL. They're trying to gently get the people in a room together, and, and it, it shouldn't shouldn't take long. I mean, even even if Mel Morris wants to just join in the conversation from from Sandbanks, you know, the the, the most expensive part of the country where he lives, um, it, it can it can just get on a Zoom conversation. So there's no reason why these these communications cannot take place at pretty much next to zero notice.
0: Yeah, I, I read his statement, and obviously, I don't know Mill Morris. It doesn't stop me despising him for what he's done to Derby County and their fans. But there was there was one bit, and again, he comes back to it time and time again that that they didn't take any legal action against QPR. They lost to QPR in the playoffs. Uh, QPR got into the Premier League and it then transpired that that was at the end of a three- or four-year period when QPR pretty flagrantly breached FFP regulations. And he's, he's basically saying, why, you know, why are Burrow and Wickham doing this to us when we didn't do it to QPR? And I, I kind of I, I almost hate myself for thinking this, Kieran. I mean, I'm hoping you can find a reason to contradict me, but I can kind of see his point, really, in, with that one.
1: Yeah, yeah, but remember, he he was not in charge of Derby County. He did not own the club in 2014. So, um, and, and he, he's 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 all he's had eight years in which to go and lodge a complaint if he felt yeah. the club was. So, I think this is this is this is what aboutery. Um, right. okay. nobody wants football merit decisions. Yeah, you know, and we, we we've discussed this at length. I'm I'm completely opposed to points deductions. yeah, like on, yeah, on, yeah the, I agree. Anything apart from the most uh, extenuating, yeah, ex- extreme of circumstances, um, and, and there must be other vehicles. You know, give, given ultimately financial fair play is due to conscious decisions being made by club owners, then you know why can't the EFL and the Premier League have within their terms and conditions that if you do uh, cheat FFP, then it does come down to to the personal. Uh, you know the the personal decisions made by club owners and therefore there is some form of fine system embedded into football for that um but you know the reason why that doesn't take place is well, who makes up the rules for the efl and and the premier league and it's club owners so yeah yeah turkeys christmas etc um so i can understand that viewpoint um the, the opposite viewpoint is, has there ever been any precedent set for this? And, and we go back to the Carlos Tevez case. Sheffield United were relegated due to yep. uh, West Ham having third-party registration of one of their players, and that did result in a settlement. So Sheffield United did go through the legal route, although it was an out-of-court settlement. Derby County didn't. Doesn't mean that one's right and one's wrong. It means that two sets of directors came to different conclusions.
0: Yeah, uh, thank you for that Kieran for putting me straight on I shall go back to just despising him as I did 10 minutes ago um, the UK and Republic of Ireland Football Associations have abandoned their plans to bid for the 2030 World Cup despite the fact I believe it was in the Tory party manifesto wasn't it that they would be a bid for the 2030 World Cup
1: um, yes um, I think this is for once the football associations have read the room Um uh- the the, the the FA English football is is not that popular, and as a country, we're not necessarily as popular as huh. as we would like to think. Yeah, just just take a look at Eurovision every yeah. year. Yeah, you know, as, as as you as, as we come a, you know, a credible twenty seventh, <laughs> um, and th- there is politics involved, and, and um, there are potentially going to be some big players for the twenty thirty World Cup. FIFA is still a very political organisation. Now, I think that the way that the decision is going to be made is that instead of it being the, the World Cup being awarded by a committee, it looks as if, and I'm, I may, may be wrong on this, it looks as if every country in FIFA is now going to have one vote. Um, so you might say, well, that's more democratic. But then you start to look at FIFA politics and you've got the confederations, which represent South South America, Africa, Asia, and so on. They they tend to vote on block uh, because that there's normally some form of political persuasion. So I'm um, I'm not convinced that the the English FA would necessarily even be able to to persuade UEFA to have the World Cup in 2030 in mm. in in the UK and Ireland or um, uh, and and therefore. They've they decided to to say, well, we, we'll just walk away. There's there's a case for taking it for it taking place in Uruguay because it's the centenary competition, yeah, and I think that that would be a lot of there'd be a romantic uh, view for that. You know, given that you know, it's been held in Germany more than once, it's been held in Mexico. Well, it'd been Mexico wholly or partially three times, the US more than once, and so on. Yeah. Um, to go back to Uruguay, I think would be quite good. Why mm-hmm. then do we think that? UEFA uh, are likely to vote for the UK and the Republic of Ireland in 2028, it comes down to money. Yeah. Um, we've got big stadiums. We know that every single ticket will sell out practically instantly because this is a, a football-mad country. Combining it with Scotland and Wales and Northern Ireland and Republic Ireland as well, yet that that is sort of uh, spreading spreading the good news um and uh, you, you can see the benefits there if uh if the individual you know the fans of those countries say that's fantastic we're guaranteed to see our club or our countries play. i don't think that is going to be the case um uh, i think every every country will have to qualify um but uh the, the good thing is is that it's, it's likely to be now 32 teams contesting the tournament in 2028, the, the 2024 tournament is going to take place in Germany. Again, a country where every ticket is going to sell out. UEFA need cash. So yeah. the, the second favourite, uh, my understanding, is Turkey. Um, and I don't think it's necessarily got the, the ability to you – know, it's, you know, it's a fantastic destination – um, but is it going to generate the same amount of money as quickly um, as uh, as the UK and the Republic of Ireland in terms of the number of individual stadiums for a 32-team tournament? I think that might be more of a challenge.
0: Yeah, uh, talking of politics, I don't know if you saw the final of AFCON, but my God, Infantino was front and centre, wasn't he? Mm. Very, yeah. very visible. Um, and also, I have to say, again, apologies to producer Guy for talking about football, but... So far, it's the moment of the season for Mane's winning penalty was just astonishing. And also, talking of uh, ticket sales, Kieran, I believe you have some uh, quite good news about the ticket sales for our first ever live. Price of Football Podcast.
1: Yes, the the Price of Football live taking place at Plough Lane. So again, for, 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 for football romantics such as me and you, it would be a fantastic place for our, us to start our journey and potentially end it as well. Um, in terms <laughs> of live gigs, we, if we we've not quite worked out what we're going to say, uh, but we'll, we'll get there. Have have, have faith. Uh, um, sales uh, tickets went on sale on uh, Monday morning at ten am, and. We've sold more than half the venue out already in the first 48 hours. So, uh, a thank you for everybody that's bought a ticket. We're we're genuinely touched. We we will be doing our damnedest to put on a a good show, a memorable show for you. Um, and, and as we said on on the Monday podcast, um, our our friends in Rochdale had said any chance of coming up and doing a benefit gig for us. Um, yeah, you know, I'm I'm in the middle of teaching. It's part of term at present, so it will be a bit of a struggle for me. You've got commitments as well. So so we can't manage it by the end of March. Um, and, and people say, well, why, why Rochdale and why a benefit gig? Um, Rochdale is is, uh, is is trying to remain a fan-owned football club. And um, there have been some people who tried to take over the club last year who are unhappy with that. Uh, they didn't make a lot of progress. Uh, we, we will be cautious as to what we say about them. Uh, I think you can probably understand from my the tone of my voice what I think of them, and it's not very positive. But, um, Rochdale should be a fan-owned club if, the, if that's the way that the fans want. But the, the legal uh, challenges are going to be very expensive. They're trying to raise a fighting fund of £130,000. It's a lot of money uh, and uh, it's an unnecessary waste of money in my view. But uh, that, that's the nature, unfortunately, of some of the people who, who claim to have the interest of football at heart.
0: Yeah, and we I, th- I think we probably will. Get to Rochdale at some stage. We are, I say, we producer guy who's thoroughly enjoying his newfound role as showbiz entrepreneur is uh, in discussion with various clubs uh, across the country about coming to uh, them to do a live pod. So, unless this first one's a complete disaster, Kieran, which it won't be, and and we have been working on the format. Don't worry, we have. So, hopefully, we'll get to see you before the end of the year. A final news story, Kieran, uh, is the one. I think, with the potential to annoy an awful lot of people in one particular part of Spain, uh, especially some of those people that don't consider they're in Spain even. Um, some newspapers in Spain are, are claiming that Barcelona are about to strike a huge deal with Spotify that will include attaching the Spotify name to the new Camp. new Oh, Like I say, good luck with that, lads, because there will be... Massive opposition, weren't there from from Barcelona fans? I would have thought.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. How, how many Newcastle fans ever used to refer to St James's Park as the yeah. Mike Ashley Arena, whatever it was called? Sports Direct nonsense. Um, yeah, the, the, this this deal is is being spoken of being worth 237 million pounds yeah we, we were discussing barcelona's finances in a recent show and, and saying the club has to uh, try to both cut costs and, and raise revenues mm-hmm. um, as part of the deal if if the stories are true it's its name will become the, the camp new spotify um you know, I, I think the number of people who are likely to use that, as, as you rightly used, said, Kevin, is going to be very, very small. Uh, you know, who if, if I go to a cricket match in in South London, I go to the Oval, not the yeah. Kia yeah. Oval. Yeah. Um, they, so, uh, I think this could be a bit of a bit of a disaster from Spotify's point of view. Um, I don't think Neil Young will be attending or playing any concerts there. Yeah. By the way. Uh, yeah. following following recent issues he's he's withdrawn his music from spotify um and uh personally i, I think that uh spotify ought to be giving uh that 237 million pounds to, to artists compared to the absolute pittance that they pay them at present
0: yeah i had to uh explain to a young friend recently that it wasn't kia snarmer that was sponsoring the oval <laughs> uh, uh and then I I couldn't for the life of me I couldn't work out I couldn't remember who Kia actually were all I could think was Kia Aura, and uh, I thought well it can't be a a, a 70s and 80s brand of orange juice can't be sponsoring the Oval so that (laughs) I couldn't actually give him the answer but all I could tell him is it wasn't Kia Starmer and yet the Spotify thing is interesting Kieran because at at the moment you know big news stories last week with with Prince Harry staying on the platform with his pods etc but it's it's not exactly a toxic brand, but it's certainly not a popular brand around the world. So this it seems strange that Barcelona really haven't read the room by launching a deal with Spotify right at this moment. Blinded by the check, Kevin. Yeah, we've we've said it so often. Right, okay. um, and
1: remember, Daniel Ek, the the Spotify owner, uh, six months ago, he was he was trying to buy Arsenal. So yeah, you know, again, Barcelona fans will be going, hold on. Yeah, you know, where 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 is your genuine interest in football? Because if it's if it's with Arsenal, then fine. But, that, but don't go and say, oh, we, we've just been we've just been rebuffed by Arsenal uh, in in terms of some form of relationship, in terms of ownership. So therefore, you're going gonna to rock up at our place. So um, yeah, I, I think they're uh, they're not uh, they're not enamouring themselves at present, that's uh, yeah. uh, Spotify.
0: Now, last week, as you may recall, we had a. a- a fascinating interview about the economics of schools football. And this week, by complete contrast, it's the Premier League we're looking at. And Kieran had a chat with Tom Demby, who's the finance head of Norwich City. Roses are red, violets are blue. Don't let a wild pube wreck you. Valentine's Day is just round the corner and our sponsors and old friends, Manscaped, are here for you with the best tools to get your balls ready for the special occasion. I still think Ali may prefer a meal. This Valentine's <laughs> Day, it's time to join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped, the leaders in below-the-waist grooming with our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com and use code Football for 20% off plus free shipping. The performance
1: package comes equipped with the best tools needed when freshening up for a night on the town. Inside you'll find the signature Lawn Mower 4.0. Its advanced skin safe technology reduces cuts and nicks on your delicate nuts. It also comes equipped with a 4000k LED spotlight that's bright enough to shine a light to your true love this year. The Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Weed Whacker, a nose and ear hair trimmer to whack off the worst of all your weeds, and two free gifts.
0: So get 20% off and free shipping with the code Price of Football at manscaped.com. That's 20% off when you're taking 100% off your balls with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code Price of Football. Help tame that love jungle you have in your pants with Manscaped.
1: or you're an aspiring musician, manager, or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. First of all, Tom, thanks so much for coming on The Price of Football. Uh, How are you all keeping at Norwich?
2: Yeah, keeping very very well. Um it's uh, uh it's been a good few weeks results wise so we're really excited for the game tomorrow. Four wins out of five so um yeah, definitely looking forward to the game tomorrow against Palace.
1: Oh, yeah. Well th- this is why Kevin's not here, you so see. He might have been a bit feisty. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. Playing Palace and uh, you're not coming down to Brighton for a few weeks, but uh yeah, hopefully m- might bed come and say hello uh, when you pop down. I mean, for for people who aren't familiar with the role of finance in a football club, what what exactly is your role and and how different would you say it is to to being a finance director, a financial controller at uh, another industry?
2: Yeah, so my role is, so I'm I'm head of finance at Norwich, so my role is sort of oversee the day-to-day function of of the accounts finance team. Um, More geared to around sort of cash flow management um, and executive board reporting, uh, make sure the exec team here have the best tools possible across, you know, varying scenarios of where the team could be next year or in three years' time. Um, That's what we're all geared up to do on a monthly basis. Um, In terms of uh, comparing it to other roles, so I actually was a financial controller previously at an oil and gas company. Uh, a lot of the role is the same. Finance is finance. Um, I guess on here, it's I had a real swap between uh, profit um, to cash. So my old role, you know, is heavily geared around profitability. you know it's dividends to pay shareholders. Um, whereas here, it's it's more sustainability, not profitability. Um, so that, that 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 was a big switch for me. You know, from as you as you, as you'll know, as you know, swap from sort of a P and L driven business to a really cash flow driven business. So um, yeah, it's so all all things here. Cash is king, as they say.
1: Absolutely, and this is something we've been trying to preach because when club accounts come out, um, and you know, they're all dripping out from a variety of clubs at present, that there is an obsession with with profit and revenue, hmm. uh, and reality is, is cash because you've got to be able to pay this month's wage bill and and this month's this month's overheads. So absolutely, um, would you say from your experience, is it necessary to be a football fan? to work in the finance part of a football club?
2: I would say yes, in my opinion. You might get others to disagree. I don't personally have anyone in the finance team here or anyone that I know of here that's not a huge football fan. I think working football, you need to be 100 miles an hour. I think you need that drive to love football and to be, get really stuck into it. Um, you know, There's a lot of hours uh, we all put in big shifts here. And I think if you don't love football, I think you'd struggle to have that ambition. Um, so I do think it is, it is really key um, when we recruit, we make sure that that's, you know, top of the list is uh, is uh, a passion for football and a passion for the club um, also helps. So, yeah, definitely yeah. key.
1: Cool, cool. Um, and we, we've just come out of what is certainly from the media's point of view, one of the busiest times of year in, in the form of the transfer window. Is, is that the same for you guys or, or is it sort of fairly, fairly full on all 12 months of the
2: year? It is full on all 12 months of the year. It really is. And it it never stops in finance, I think, especially here where where being a self-funded football club. I think finance is at the forefront of everything that we do. Um, So it is full on. I think in the transfer window, I think I like to do a lot of the work before the transfer window. So December is quite busy um, making sure that we've got those forecast business plans, like I said, throughout the years of all the scenarios, whether we're up, down, um, you know, all that sort of stuff ready for, for review so that when we actually come into the transfer window, the execs and Stuart Weber and, and, and the management team have all the financial information available to make those quick-fire decisions you need in the transfer window. Um, you know, everything's done at, at a blink of an eye and no one has time to wait for finance. So that's all done pre. So December's a busy month, but generally speaking, all around is quite is quite full on. Cool. Yep. Yeah.
1: Um, and, and, you know, you mentioned a little bit earlier that, that Norwich is a, is a self-funded, sustainable model. You, uh, you presumably create budgets uh, on the basis of expected levels of broadcast income, commercial income, match day income and so on. Um, how, how does that start, you know, from, from if, if you are presumably you are planning already for 22, 23 without being too rude? Have you prepared two budgets or more budgets? Uh, given given that there must be a variety of scenarios that could arise.
2: Yeah, no, of, of of course. I think you have to be you have to be sensible, and that is that. There's when you are promoted club, there is a solid to fair chance that you, that you could go down. So there will be multiple budgets. I think um, how we how we approach this is we stock quite a large finance team. Um, I think compared to other football clubs, I think that's how how we first approach it. Um, I think with a self-funded model, I don't think we have, there's no plan being, we don't have, there's no owner led checks coming in. Uh, We don't, we have to be sustainable. So we have to stop the finance team to to, to do that. We've just come out,
1: well, we hope we've just come out of the pandemic. What were the major implications from your point of view, Especially when you went into it and not knowing what the future was going to be, how how did you address the challenges that were brought by COVID from a uh, from a finance perspective at Norwich
2: City? I guess. It's tough. It feels so long ago now, the start. But I think if you remember back, we were in the Premier League in 1920 when it all was, the season was halted. And I think there was a, long, a lot of talk around the season being null and void. And we just really swapped to all hands on deck. We, we really had to get everyone involved in making sure that every scenario was planned as best as possible, um, which was required so much time and effort for, for the team. Um, just looking at every sort of avenue, really. Um, and trying to plan for that but i think obviously Covid was so difficult with obviously no fans you know norwich typically quite rely on club controlled income you know that's a large part of our yeah. of our revenue um so match day sales tickets people turning up um hospitality that you know in catering obviously we haven't we have an owner who is um you know a a well-known chef so the catering side of this business is massive at the club and obviously with no one here there's no money to be made so it, it, it was huge and it just required some real sort of like home truths of looking at how poor the numbers would, would could be and then trying to um trying to get through that. I think we made a couple of player sales around that time to really sort of like keep the club going and, you know, still be competitive. We obviously sold Ben Godfrey to, to Everton and Jamal Lewis to Newcastle at that period. And then and then we went on and won the championship with a club record number of points of 97 points. So, um, yeah, a couple of player sales at key moments. Um, really helped us through, through that difficult time.
1: And, and do you think for a club like Norwich, you know, fans don't necessarily like it, but having that uh, that development model in terms of identifying talent, bringing it through the ranks, and then moving on to sell players, effectively, it, would you say that that is your fourth income stream along with match day broadcast and commercial, or... Is it because of the very volatile nature of player sales that you you can't really uh, budget for something of that nature?
2: No, I mean, it is important. I think you're right looking at those sort of like income streams. And the one that obviously we do not rely on at all in any way, shape or form is owner-led investment. So... We have to swap to, to player sales. I think the strategy of this football club has been for a number of years to invest heavily in the academy and the young and the young players. So that one, they'll hopefully deliver they'll be good players and deliver on the pitch success, which we've seen in the last few years, but at, at some point they will obviously have a resaleable value which will help the club be sustainable. Um, you know, this club has made £150 million profit on player sales in the last seven years, which is obviously a, a lot of money and so 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 crucial to to, to the way that we work. I think we have the two two highest profit on player sales um, in Championship history being 2021 and 17-18. 17-18, I think was James Madison, and 2021 was obviously Ben Godfrey, as I've just said, along with Jamal Lewis. So, yeah, it is, it is it's absolutely crucial. You can't budget for it. Like you say, because um, you don't know the transfer market, but we can make sure that the infrastructure is being spent. You know, we 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 continue to invest in the academy, and then hopefully that that conveyor viable of young players continues. And some of the players that have come through this football club over the last few years have been, you know, absolutely incredible. So,
1: yeah. Um, in terms of fan engagement and it's a horrible word monetization and you know and fans don't like it. i don't think people in don't think people in the football industry necessarily like it so we are now coming into a period of, of quite high inflation is that impacting the on the ability to, to sell merchandise uh, Are catering receipts managing to hold up uh, given given that prices are rising and fans are finding things are a bit tighter themselves
2: um, yeah, I I believe so. I believe, I believe they will hold up. I mean, cost of living is is going up. I mean, I'm, I'm, I actually checked my own energy renewal yesterday. I'm just I'm I'm glad I was sitting down. Is all I could say. You know, it's at <laughs> least doubling. And you know, we've got rising cost of livings and you know increased employee um, employee's national insurance and employee's national insurance and um, I know Bank of England you know, rates just gone up. So yeah, it, it is going up. I think what I would say about about what you, what you've said about. Um, you know, fans, but but being where I think it just comes down to the fact oh, you just can't underestimate how passionate the fans are of Norwich City mm. Football Club. I think they will always be here for the club, and I think fans in general are really, really respectful and appreciative of the of the model that we're operating in. Being self-funded, this revenue is important, and uh, I think the fans will continue to to, to back the club. Um, you know, the club is a is a community asset. I think Norwich has some of the best fan engagement in the Premier League. I think that's a fact with season ticket numbers and, and the way that we act with the community. And I think it, I think ultimately they will still they will still turn up in their thousands Championship with rising living costs or not because they love they love the football club and uh, I don't see that personally changing. Yeah, I mean I,
1: I've been to Norwich as an away fan uh, on on many an occasion, and it and it that closeness I think between the club and the fan base is is very evident. Yep. Which, which you don't necessarily see elsewhere. There, there appears to be an expectation that the club has to deliver on certain other things, uh, whereas Norwich, it's the fact that we're all part of Norwich together, which, which, is, which is which is very commendable. I mean, just, just looking forward to next season, um, we, we've got the World Cup taking place in November and December. What impact... Is that having on your planning because you know you're going to have to go for a month without football um is, is that already a concern for you at Norwich
2: yeah it, it isn't it, is it isn't it is from a from a time and a back end point of view We're actually now just starting that journey on to budgeting for next season well obviously we'll have a Premier League and championships scenario and I think the bit for the World Cup which is uh we' have to try and stress to people is Obviously, it's unprecedented. We've never, you know, football's pretty consistent in terms of how the fixtures fall. I know the Premier League and the Championship are different, but year on year, we've perhaps got quite a lot of historical data to rely on, you know, football season to football season. So we're now rolling into these new budgets. And you know you know, Excel probably better than anyone. I've seen yours. I've seen your spreadsheets, Kieran. But everything behind the scenes is going to have to change to allow for that that World Cup. um, The way that we phase and draw down revenue is on a sort of by-game basis, which... Will all have to be adjusted, um, but financially, in terms of what what it will cost the club, I don't think it will be that 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 much. To be honest, I think there might be like there might be a period where a mini preseason might 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 be demanded, whether some players have you know not played competitive football for a number of weeks, either if they're not at the tournament or their team was knocked out early. I think we're back playing Premier League football on Boxing Day, um, with the final sort of on the sixteenth, I think. So there could be a break. Um, so. There will obviously be costs associated with that, but I think in terms of the revenue generating areas, it's still over the Christmas period. Um, I don't see the World Cup being being an issue. Hopefully, I think it will actually bring more people out um, into the city to watch the games, which could increase footfall at stores and and and, um, and that sort of things. And hopefully, you know, be a big boost to hospitality over Christmas. I'm trying to look at the World Cup as a, an actual positive to for Norwich. Um, yeah. So have to see how it goes, but. Brilliant,
1: brilliant, um, and just sort of to just to sort of tie things up. I, I get asked a lot by a lot of people. How do you get into the world of football finance? I say, well, I, I'm I'm actually still a teacher. I'm, I'm a complete fraud. As somebody who <laughs> is there, who um, is involved in a database, could could you offer people any tips as to? what do you think the industry is looking for in terms of somebody that, that wants to move into, into the football world?
2: Um, passion. I think it's it's number one, passion for football. I think that's probably what got me the job, to be honest. When I turned up for an interview, I just think, you know, I've always been 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 in finance but always had a huge passion for, for football. Um, and I, I just think I, that obviously came across and I think we're actually – um you know now looking for new members of the team and I think that 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 what gets you over the line I don't think we have time for here for people that don't share the passion for for, for football so um that would be my main tip um is that you, you you really need to have a desire to be in the industry um so above everything above you know te- technical ability um you know I think we could have you know the best accountant to walk through the door but if they if they don't love football and they're not prepared to really approach the industry head-on then I think they'll struggle
1: Okay. Terrific. Terrific. Well, um, we're recording this on, on Tuesday. So um, this is before you play Crystal Palace. I will be cheering you on um, because I'm a magnanimous guy um, against Palace uh, and had Kevin been doing the interview, I suspect he wouldn't have been as magnanimous, um, but I'm just I'm a big-hearted <laughs> guy. So um, all, all the best for you. And um, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, that budget A will be uh, in place for, for next season as opposed to uh, budget EFL or whatever you call it. Uh, and, and oh, no,
2: I hope so. <laughs> um, and, and have a fantastic season. And thanks so much for, for giving up your time and expertise. I really appreciate no, it. Um, no, it's, uh, it's uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on and uh, all the best for the future.
0: I thought that was really interesting. I Particularly like the comparison. They tried to run the club as though, as though it was a charity along those grounds and that, you know, the the money is generated by the club is used by the club and doesn't go into the pockets of, of owners. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I thought Tom, Tom was a fascinating uh, person to talk to.
1: Uh, His, his passion for the job really came through, but also he was, you know, he was honest enough to say, you know, we we don't have the benefit of, of ultra high net worth individuals running the club. We therefore aim to be sustainable um and the whole aim is if we have a successful year and you see you know, over the last 7 years norwich city have generated 150 million pounds from player sales that money gets plowed into the club or improving sort of facilities and engagement with fans because you know caro road is is part of the fabric of norwich as a city and they want the cl- the, ta- the city to be as proud of the club as the club is wants to be proud of the city. Um, and it, it's a very, very positive circular relationship.
0: Yeah, it, It's probably for the best that I wasn't available to do the interview, Kieran, because I'm not sure how Tom would have reacted to my suggestion for Norwich to make money. They could make a fortune. All they've got to do is charge a fiver to show that Delia Smith mic drop at half time because <laughs> I seriously I'd be spending a hundred quid. I can't get enough of that it, it, in moments of stress. I that's yeah, you know, I, I turn to Sibelius and and Fauré and Delia basically. They just, they, they, <laughs> I, I just can't get enough of of dear. I, I don't know. She may have put out um, all i 'm suggesting there may have been an extra glass of wine in a risotto i don 't know, but if you haven 't seen it it's it's one of the, it's one of the reasons we love football those moments like that. Delia on the pitch exhorting the fans to make more noise and then doing the mic drop at the end is brilliant. <laughs> Thank you for listening, everybody. Uh, if you'd like to make a small contribution to our always free-to-air podcast, then please go to patreon.com slash priceoffootball, and that would be very kind of you. If you'd like a question for our Monday Questions pod, then please email questions at priceoffootball.com. There are as still a, only a few tickets left for our first ever live gig, so please... Uh, head for where where do they have to head for that no, our Twitter it's event bright event, yeah yeah it's on yep. our pod page isn't it or whatever yep. uh, and uh, while you're doing that uh, I shall leave you in the capable hands of Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell well, uh, as always, thanks so much for engaging with us
1: uh, through, uh, through emails, through, uh, through Twitter, which is always a good way of finding both myself and Kevin. Um, we, we do take on board all of your comments and, and we do appreciate that you seem to like the show as well. Um, if, you, if you want to support us through Patreon, it's as little as a pound a month. Uh, and, and for that, you, you, you get us our eternal thanks, of course. But if you just want to give us some, some good karma, and, and we genuinely do not know how this works, but going on to the Apple app, or the Spotify app, um, and um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel I such a hypocrite now. Um, <laughs>
0: so, yeah, you know, I, I it was that halfway. You know, I'm not good with the technical stuff, but halfway through that that Barcelona Spotify question, I'm thinking, hang on, is. This- We've got an issue here, haven't we? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh unk- <laughs>
1: um but if if you, if you want to do that and and give us a review and give us five stars, it helps it helps in the algorithms, it helps in the in the league tables and we're we're, uh, we're we're punching above our weight. I think it's fair to say at present, um, it, it doesn't matter what you say uh, in, in the comments. If you if you want to give a written review, you you could you can say you'd rather have the show presented by Al Pacino and the Swedish Chef from the Muppets, <laughs> and that would be some good, good noises. There'd be some good grunting from both parties there, um, <laughs> and it wouldn't make a blind bit of difference. to Myself and Kevin, our our egos can cope with that.
0: I love that chef. He's probably the the my favourite chef. I've met a lot of chefs, but he's the one I'd like to meet most. <laughs> Bye everybody.
1: Bye.
0: Bye. I son photo of